0: turtle uh, right now? Yeah, it's one of them. We, we have a lot of challenges uh, that we're going to face early on. I'm just trying to uh, figure each other out. Chemistry for sure is one of them but that's why I think we practice and that's why we, we come here and, uh, the more we play with each other, but the answer that question. It is the biggest hurdle. No dancing around it. Problem identified. Let's see what happens. Never been more excited for preseason basketball. Is it going to be that easy, Mr. Hayward? Audio, of course, from the CLNS Media YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for all the ins and outs of Celtics training camp, Celtics footage for practice, pressers, interviews and analysis, again on youtube.com slash CLNS Media, including that one, a cascade of Celtics-related content with the dawning of the new season. Yes, that was Gordon Hayward. Yes, that was every Chin. If you couldn't pick up on it, no, you can pick up on this. Today is Sunday, October 1st, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, and I am Larry H. Russell. Today's show is being brought to you by Casper. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. You get $50 off any mattress purchased by going to casper.com slash Celtic and entering the promo code CELTIC. Celtic fan or not, do yourself a great service. Go plow your way through the player interviews on CLNS Media because they are riveting. You heard Abby Chin out of the gate with the question directed not just at Mr. Hayward as it has been the theme of training camp thus far, and and for good reason, but Kyrie Irving, Coach Brad Stevens, uh, Marcus Smart, many other key players, and it is quite interesting how easy they make this all sound, by the way. And um, especially the young guys that we have on the uh, on the plot and, you know, learn the and learn everything that we need in order to be successful man. Sorry for the bouncing basketballs, but as a self-identified diehard, do want to report on my end the players are practicing their dribbling and shooting, which is good. But back to the point. It is always easy in training camp, media day, practices, particularly early ones in the season, to talk about it. It, the dreaded intangibles that we have no way to concretely measure, comma, yes. Talk about how easy it, I just got to learn on the fly. That's all. Just, we just got, We just have to learn on the fly. You know, that's nothing. The players seemingly identifying the lack of team chemistry, speaking in a manner which, while identifying it, their tone of voice seemingly downplays said issue, and all this sounds very reaffirming to fans. They're going to figure this all out. Let's start like, studying for a test. Take a look at the playbook on the bus, and they, they get some time. But as I said, the theme of training camp, the primary hurdle, Miss Chin, the primary hurdle to start and go into the season, as many now know and accept, is the lack of familiarity between not just all these players, just four holdovers from last year's team, Horford, Smart, Rozier, Brown, players who were third, fifth, seventh, and ninth in minutes, by the way. But the key players at the top of the roster, the front-end talent, that's the players that matter the most. Those whom the offense will be structured around. All have to familiarize themselves, not just with each other. Learn to trust not just their abilities, but intuitively. Which is many times, that's the difference when playing a game decided by millimeters, literally. Astonishingly, this is Brad Stevens' fifth season with the Celtics. Where does the time go? Oh, my goodness. And... You know, you hear this a lot, especially in an era of choreographed and grandstanding debate shows that air over on the corporate broadcast that are geared more towards the masses. But here it holds true. This is going to be Brad Stevens' most challenging coaching job this coming 2017-18 NBA campaign. Not just having the four holdovers, not just the focal points of the offense being new and unfamiliar with each other. But Brad Stevens and his system, being new to them, certainly helps that Hayward way back yonder spent his college years with Coach Stevens. But this is a whole new experience for everybody. Even the holdovers. I'll pinpoint Jalen Brown, for instance. Coming off his rookie season in which he certainly verified his third overall selection and proved people like me dead wrong. But he's created greater expectations for himself this coming season based on the abilities he displayed, particularly when he was inserted into the starting lineup in January last year. He began hitting three-pointers at a 40% clip. Uh, the team off the top of my head, I think they went 10-1, and one, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Someone who's listening, that was the stretch Bradley was out in January, but now fairly or unfairly because of the loss of Bradley and then eventually Crowder in the Isaiah trade. As stated, fairly or unfairly, there are greater expectations and a lot of more pressure that's place on him as a second year guy because of the needs someone only he has the capacity to fill Brown's a tremendous talent but Boston is desperately going to need a wing to hit the corner three and efficient clip to space the floor for its playmakers yes he's got a post game but this offense for it to maximize its collective potential is going to need him to space the floor they are desperately going to need an athletic and an agile defender to place on the opposition's top perimeter players so where do we turn to who do we turn to I'll um, I'll use a cross-sports reference as an example which, unfortunately, only us partisans to the region will understand. Back in 2006, awesome times, by the way, I was between high school and college doing next to nothing besides rooting for my favorite sports teams, the Patriots, the big bad evil cheating Patriots, came into the year with an entirely new receiving core for Brady, an inferior one at that, let Deion Branch, David Givens, David Patton go, all guys Brady won Super Bowls with, and they were replaced with journeymen. Names I won't mention. Uh, that's only going to raise my anger to unhealthy levels, especially when I recall that googly-eyed bag of dropping those would-be-clinching touchdowns in the AFC title game in Indy. But anyways, back on point here. Before that season, with the new receivers, it was, ah, geez. well, they spent high draft picks on some tight ends who possess a lot of raw ability. They'll, they'll step up and use the tight ends. That's all they got to do. Didn't uh, Those guys, Ben Watson, Daniel Graham, they didn't really react well to the pressure, and there was a pretty bad snowball effect from there. These... Games, uh, pressure-packed, high-intensity contests, as we know. That's why we and They Bother are all played under emotional circumstances. So, very easy for Gordon Hayward and Kyrie to say, just got to learn on the fly. But as we alluded to earlier here, this isn't taking a college course. Or, like This isn't classical Greek architecture and art 210 and you're sitting on a bus with flashcards. Doric, Corinthian, Ionic. I got my columns, got it. The Emotions of Wins and Losses someone else screwing up, you would have done better, the reaction of fans at games, Twitter trolls filling up notifications, the desire to pinpoint reason or reasons for every transpiring, which the way our negative minds steer us in generally results in a lot of blame. The challenge for Stevens is not only finding a starting unit, finding units that mesh well together in very small and sometimes not relevant samples like inter-squad scrimmages and preseason games, But managing the psyche, managing the whole team psychology of prideful individuals and in the collective as well as in times of stress, for lack of a creative word there. a Losing streak here or there, which can be hard to fend off with how difficult Boston's early schedule is. (laughs) So all of what is said is tremendously concerning to us self-identified diehard Celtics fans. But nonetheless, these very challenges coupled with the talent and not just the general intrigue of a new team that has a lot of awesome players make this rapidly approaching season that much more compelling. If I relish this opportunity as a fan of the team where, you know, I contribute precisely nothing, then Mike, I know mean, no, Brad Stevens does. I, I don't know Kyrie personally. I can safely say, from what we've been hearing from him personally say on the Honest Media YouTube channel, I'll speak for him. He definitely does. So, yeah, let's go all Bart Scott. Can't wait. I should, however... Pass along some good news to Celtics backers. Many of our highly intellectual listeners are already well aware of this. But two big news items here. Number one, the Boston Celtics are immensely talented. They got that going for them. And number two, the Eastern Conference is absolutely abysmal. We're in the midst of the Primer Series, after all, here on Celtics Beat. Primer Series number four, actually. And for this week, we're going to look at said horrible Eastern Conference... We've done the individual top dogs. Put that in quotation marks, by the way. So we're now going to do everybody else all in one. Can the Celtics, with so much to work out, still tack on some early season victories against borderline NBDL rosters that are littered throughout this conference? What a transition. I'm getting good at this, huh? Find out next with today's featured guest, the Athletics and CLNS Media's very own Danny LaRue. Episode number 230 of Celtic Speed with Danny LaRue is being presented by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that creates an outrageously comfortable mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. The product design features a marriage between foam layers for ideal firmness, just the right sink, and just the right bounce, as I know from personal experience. I sleep on a Casper mattress every night, and the sleep I get restores my body and mind. Thank you, Casper. Designed, developed, and assembled right here in the U.S. of A., an in-house team of engineers spend thousands of hours developing the Casper. Its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. And buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. That's right, 100 nights. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything, no hassle. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Based on Casper, Amazon, and Google reviews, the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. And it doesn't end there. As a listener of Celtics Beat, you can save an additional fifty dollars as one of our audience members by going to Casper.com/celtic. That's Celtic singular. Casper.com/celtic and entering the promo code Celtic. That's Casper.com/celtic. And promo code Celtic. Free shipping applies to U.S. and Canada customers only. Terms and conditions apply. Today's broadcast is also being brought to you by Bombfell. Boys, if you hate shopping for clothes or just don't like shopping for clothes or don't have the time to shop for clothes and by law and common decency need to wear clothes, well, Bombfell is your solution. Bombfell, an easier way for men to get better clothes. Bombfell never charges above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns, convenient home try-on, and the ability to preview and edit your stylus picks before your order ships. Yes, a personal stylist if you want. At Bombfell, you sign up, set up and schedule your order, get a preview email, and of course change what you want if there's something you don't like. Then Bombfell ships your order to you. And now here's where the fun begins. You have seven days, yes, a full week, to try on what you want before Bomfeld charges your credit card. You then keep what you want and ship back what you don't want. How convenient is that? There's so much that I love about Bomfeld, the stylistic and fit material for me, and just how easy this service is that I have found to use. I cannot emphasize that enough. Free shipping and returns, and I love their mantra, Bomfeld doesn't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. So we here at Celtics Beat negotiated with Bombfell to get a $25 offer for our listeners. For $25 off your first purchase, visit bombfell.com/celticsbeat. Bombfell.com/celticsbeat. bombfell.com slash Celtics That's bombfell.com slash Celtics Beat. B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com the Celtics Beat URL. Bombfell, open and close. Last time we spoke, a lot has changed. I asked you how the Celtics were going to run their offense with adding Gordon Hayward to the fold, how he's going to fit with Isaiah Thomas. So we got to do a redo here on the 1st of October, Mr. LaRue. How are the Celtics going to run their offense?
1: It's going to be fun because there's been so much turnover with this team that I think it's a lot of it is going to hinge in the starting lineup on the dynamic between Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. So Irving has been used to playing with a ball-dominant forward. LeBron James obviously is that. And Gordon Hayward last year got a lot more comfortable playing with the ball in his hands more because George Hill was out so much. So I think they're going to have to figure out that dynamic, but they have two players that are capable of shouldering a lot of the load and I think they'll make it work.
0: I think it's universally accepted that the Celtics are going to start slow and I thought you really insinuated that when you said they're going to have to figure out. So Are you in that camp that Boston is not going to be a 2008 Celtics, or I even give the 2011 Heat, I know they started out slow and everything, but they technically got things figured out by getting to the finals that year, but are you in the camp that many now seem to be in, that Boston is going to record-wise and even on a court-wise struggle to start the year as they, as you said, figure things out, Brad Stevens experiments, etc., et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera.
1: They'll struggle relative to how they'll finish, but that doesn't mean they'll be bad in any way. I mean, there are a lot of shaky teams in the Eastern Conference and overall in the league right now. And the Celtics are incredibly talented. The difference is that adjustments take time. And not only is it so much of the team turning over, but roles and everything like that. And so I want to see how they incorporate their young guys, who they prioritize. And I mean, it could take Stevens a couple weeks to figure out who he wants to start. And usually when that happens, there's an adjustment period. And adjustment, as I said, it doesn't necessarily translate into wins and losses. I would expect it to a little bit. But that makes the Celtics a lot more fun to watch game to game this year.
0: Well, as you said, there are so many bad teams in the Eastern Conference. And that's what I want the whole theme of our conversation to be about. You are technically here for the Primer Series, yet nonetheless, this is such astute comments from yourself, Mr. LaRue. And we are here with Real GM and the Athletics. Danny LaRue is our featured guest segment here on episode number 230 of Celtics. I've been saying that, listen, I think the Celtics are. They're going to take a long time to adjust psychologically to the new teammates they have. I think defensively, they're definitely going to struggle right away. But, I mean, as I think about it more and more, and I've talked more on the, on this show with everyone who we've had here in recent weeks for the Primer Series, be it Tass Mellis, be it Michael Lee. Offensively, as I've you know made reference, I made reference to the 2011 Heat. I don't know if you recall this. At the beginning of the year, yet that year their offense was just—I don't want to use such an extreme word like hideous to watch. Yet it was just all completely forced. They were forcing fast breaks because, quite frankly, that was the only way for them to generate offense. LeBron and Wade—they just really didn't have the cohesion yet. There was—they they didn't have that developed Batman and Robin type thing. There was a little bit of a hot potato, particularly at the end of the game. So. I'm now even thinking that offensively the Celtics may do things as they get familiar with themselves, as they try to, you know, become a team that's cohesive and ball-moving. They could resort to a lot of inefficient plays, such as, say, forcing fast breaks just like the 2011 Heat did. Or even in the half court, something like using a player that was, you know, there last year, which is not many of them, doing something like posting up Al Horford in the blocks, which I don't know if you're aware of it, is something very inefficient. Is that something that you see being an issue with the Celtics?
1: I do think that's a possibility early on, and something on a similar note is while Kyrie Irving's quote-unquote role is similar to what it was in Cleveland— Boston's offense is completely different than what Cleveland did. Cleveland was a lot more station-to-station, a lot less ball movement than what I think Brad Stevens is going to want to do with this team. And that's a huge transition, too. The way that you approach when the ball is in your hands is going to be very different. And the Celtics are playing a lot of good teams early in the year. Not exclusively, obviously. but And they're also playing a fair amount of teams with a lot of continuity, including the Bucks and the Spurs. So, you know, those teams are going to execute a little bit more consistently because that's what they're doing. So I'm not saying the Celtics are going to ha- – that's going to kill their season or anything silly like that, but there is an adjustment. And, you know, I cover the Warriors most closely, and the Warriors went through that last year with only one player, with Kevin Durant, and the Celtics changed over two of their marquee guys, but almost all of their bench too. I
0: think the challenge is too because – as You know, losses, I don't want to say they're going to pile up, but you referenced their early season schedule, which is not easy, that you have the Bucs, the Spurs. i got to pull it up right now. Well, they play the Cavs right out of the gate. How do I forget that? But I also do know they play Golden State early on, early-ish on. They play them, excuse me, November 16th, but oh, actually, this is a very tough schedule, Danny. I mean, they got Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City there, and they've... Well, you know, you well got... he,
1: so here, here's what I would say, if you want to get off the worst-case scenario, is that a lot of these players understand what is coming. You know, they've changed coaches, they've changed teams, and in those circumstances, they know it takes adjustment, and the big part that the Celtics have in their favor is that they're incredibly talented. So I think they're going to figure this out. It will take a little bit of time, And also, there aren't that many teams in the Eastern Conference that are both really good and well-structured to have a dominant regular season. So it could be that you know the Celtics struggle in October, that they're 500 or maybe even a little lower than that to end the month. I'm not saying they will be, but it's a possibility. I don't think that really impacts them in terms of the Eastern Conference that much because I don't think the Raptors, the Cavs... Maybe if you want to talk about the Wizards, I don't think those teams are going to be pushing so hard that a a short little struggle period like that is going to sink their chances of finishing
0: even with the best record in the conference like they did last year. That's exactly what I got you. So let's transition to the primer, and this primer was going to be the everybody else but Primer. So basically, I've been doing the Primer series. Washington's in the book. I actually think they're going to finish first in the conference in the regular season. My points being, I think they have a top three starting lineup in the NBA, and they're the the you know the, really the one team in the Eastern Conference that has that continuity. You can make a case for the Bucs and the Raptors, but they're a level below. The Bucks are very intriguing, and they have the top-end talent. They're a high-ceiling team, in my opinion. Raptors... I just threw them in there because they're just going to be obligatorily pegged in for 50 wins, but I'm not sure they're going to really make a dent in the landmark of the actual conference. Of course, we're going to get to Cleveland eventually, as you should, no matter what. But as you've been alluding to, the Celtics will struggle with some familiarity, some chemistry issues early on, but they're so... How about this? We're going to go to first take question. Is this the worst Eastern Conference that there has been in the post-Jordan era, when the East has actually been less than stellar at many times over the last twenty years. I'll answer no right out of the gate, but I can just I'll throw that back to you. Is this the worst East of the post Jordan era?
1: I don't think it is, but we're getting close in terms of star talent. I mean, you still have LeBron and Giannis and, you know, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, but There will be some struggles there, but no, I I think there's enough talent here to make things interesting, especially if some of these young teams take a step. And we don't know if that's going to happen yet. I mean, Milwaukee has the most continuity of the young teams, but, you know, if Philadelphia can really bring it on. And then another team that isn't necessarily young, but could make this conference look better is Miami. Miami Miami last year had that crazy... 11-30, 11-30, and 30, then 30-11 season where they, you know, started out so horribly, then missed the playoffs by a tiebreaker because they just couldn't get all the way over the hump. You know, so, so things like that. But you're right, though, that there, there might not be a team that, like, is dominant in that way as a regular season. Like, it's possible. I don't, I don't think it's likely, but it's possible that no team in the East wins 50 games this year. That would be certainly weird
0: and the bottom end is not strong you know teams like that's where the, the Celtics should get a lot of wins and quite frankly right the, even the Cavs as you would like to think they could have some issues with Isaiah being out a long time the bottom of the East looks absolutely putrid and it feels like there's a big bottom right now I mean there's a lot of teams like Atlanta Indiana Orlando, for whatever reason, can never really get off the mat with their young team, with their young player, and there's there's the usual dregs per usual.
1: And the Knicks, I mean, especially now that they were able to move Melo, and while I think they got a better return than what I was expecting, because I was expecting a buyout, you know, they still have a very mismatched roster. They're going to be bad. I mean, there's a distinct possibility that maybe four or five of the worst teams in the league are all in the East and that you know that the suns and the lakers and the teams in the west are just a little bit better than that so those are going to be a lot of wins for for the squads that are talented and have their have their life together have their house in order there're going to be a lot of wins to be had there and boston could be a major beneficiary of that at various points during the season and yeah i i want to see how this works out and something else that's going to be very interesting for for the Eastern Conference in General, and since you said that, you know, we're going in that direction, is the earlier trade deadline. So if, let's say the 8th seed is lower than usual, maybe it's in the high 30s as opposed to the low 40s. That's generally where it usually is. Where it usually is. So if it's there, and now that the trade deadline is in early February as opposed to after the All-Star break, are there going to be teams that aren't good, that are still in it and so maybe they hold on to it and the team that i've been lasering in on this with is is indiana i think there's a very distinct chance that indiana is looking at this especially considering they did uh tank you know year. let's call it.
0: yeah okay, it, it could, like
1: that's how you and i would probably see it i don't think that's the way they see it they didn't get a single draft pick in the paul george trade they got players who they feel can contribute even though i disagree with them on the evaluation. But that's where I think they're going with this. And so if in early February they say, hey, we've still got a shot at this, I don't think they're going to make the moves to focus on their future, it's the polite way of saying tanking, that they should be doing. You know, Thaddeus Young has a player option. Corey Joseph has a player option. They have a bunch of guys that have partial guarantees. So, like, that would be the direction I would go is, you know, to sell off. But remember – they signed Darren Collison. They traded for Corey Joseph. They signed Bojan Bogdanovic. They did all these things when they could have just had space or you know taken on other teams' bad salaries because they want to win. That's so, actually been I'm, the story
0: as have you have been going on. That's been like the story of the Pacers the last ten years. Outside of that little run they had, you know, in the middle part of the decade or earliest part <laughs> of the decade, they've always been trying them in the Milwaukee Bucks. At, at times, have always been striving for those forty-two win seasons.
1: Right, and. There are challenges there. I mean, long term. I mean, the, what you, what you lose, and the way that the NBA is structured. I mean, the, that you really do benefit from getting top five picks, and not every GM can get those by
0: fleecing the Nets like Danny Ainge did. Doing the primer, I basically made the, the top four teams that I think are are of concern to Boston in many different ways, as I've alluded to: Washington, the Bucs, the Raptors, and of course the Cavs. Last year there was a little bit of a team, you know, there were a couple of team dujors. God forbid, even the Hornets. You threw them in there because they were the team that were supposed, was supposed to have continuity a little bit last year, and they were really well coached. Detroit was a team that was expected to make a little bit of a leap. I remember Kevin Pelton be very high on them and his projections because that was they had some a lot of front end talent. It Almost kind of correlates with the Bucks this year a little bit. There's a lot of people saying, oh, don't, don't don't sleep on the Milwaukee Bucks yet. Every time you hear everybody else say don't sleep on this team, that's when said team flops. I actually just I cannot for the life of me even think of a two thousand seventeen Pistons of a of a don't did I nail it? I mean, is there really anyone worthy in the East that is worth talking about that is of a concern to the Celtics, no matter how much of an issue that the Celtics will have early on, God forbid even middle of the season. Is there anyone worthy of interest in the East outside of the Wizards, Bucks, Raptors and Cavs?
1: No. No, I mean, not really. The Celtics are incredibly talented, and you know, maybe in a playoff series, if one of these teams figures it out, uh, that's in the bottom and kind of works their way in. Like, for example, if that Miami team had made it into the playoffs, I don't think they would have beaten the Celtics, though we saw what the Bulls. With the they Bulls, never... they're up 2-0.
0: Yeah, and...
1: so, I mean, so that sort of a thing can happen, but in terms of the larger structure of this whole thing, and of course, we know where Isaiah was at that point, I, I don't think so, and there aren't that many teams outside of the four you mentioned and, of course, the Celtics that really have a high ceiling. There are teams that could be good. Miami, I like. Charlotte, I like as a playoff team. Detroit, but they don't really have that, oh, if it all works, they're going to be dominant. And I think the the real point there is the star talent. I talked about that a little bit when you asked about the worst, like, is this the worst Eastern Conference? But there just aren't that many players that you can, that you can just – Hang on, hang on their back and they'll carry you the whole way. This is not a conference right now that has that many of those guys outside the best players. And you know, if you hadn't included the Bucks, I would have brought them up because Giannis. You know, if he takes in... That's the, that's the staff, high. You see,
0: like if he goes, if he makes the leap, uh, right? Of he's at the injury. Then I think the Bucks could literally, they could jump to a mid-fifty-five win team. But that is the only team that has. Thus high ceiling to use that uh, cliche phrase of any of these oh, of any, it's, of it's these
1: relevant teams. I mean that that the, the reason high ceiling gets used a lot is because if you use it correctly it helps convey something that's hard to do otherwise and that's why I think the Bucks are more interesting than the Raptors is that as a regular season team the Raptors will be good. we kind of know right, what they're, they're they're going peg to be. them in
0: for 50 wins and you know, yeah. blah 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 but they're you know they, they're, they like I said they really are not of a factor in not just the Eastern Conference landscape but of course the NBA landscape.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the idea it would be very difficult for them to win the to win the conference and then to make the NBA finals just with the way the roster is structured. And that's not to criticize what Masai Ujiri has done. I think he's been impressive with what they've had to work with. But I don't see that team like with Miami or Charlotte or any of those that is really going to have it figured out. The other one I guess you could say and it's an outside outside chance like one in if I had to say 1 in 10, 1 in 20 is the Sixers because the Sixers have the most talent of any of the teams outside of it. They remind they, me they, a lot
0: of the Bulls back in the middle of the two uh, thousands, when they were yeah. just so. I mean, they, you know, they then the Bulls had like that one year, but for to all to come together for like a really fresh young team would be. Yeah, it, I it's
1: mean, it's so hard. Peck, and remember, yeah. not only with them are they young, but a lot of their best players have never played in the NBA before. This is not a circumstance of you know these twenty two year olds that, like the Oklahoma City team, let's say, that that put a scare into the Lakers if, in the early days of their run because Ben Simmons has never played an NBA game. Markel Fultz has never played Joel an NBA game. Joel Embiid's played 31. Joel Embiid's played 31. So they're going to have a lot of a jo- And then almost the rest of their team turned over. You know, guys like Redick and Amir Johnson and, they, they have, and a lot of the other guys that are holdovers have changed roles. So the Sixers, why I'm intrigued by them is the idea that They're going to have all this stuff early on. But remember how long the regular season is. I mean, you and I will probably talk over the course of the regular season a few times. And, you know, those six months are are important and teams can figure a lot of this out. So I don't think the Sixers are that team right now. But there is that one in 10, one in 20 chance that in April they have become that team. And so I want to mention them because then people can't come to me and they listen to this in April and be like, hey, you didn't talk about the Sixers. I talked about the Sixers.
0: And also, I'll I'll actually say this about Philadelphia. You mentioned about having the Celtics being able to pick up a lot of wins, even if they have some familiarity and chemistry issues early on, because as you've alluded to, as I try to point out as well, is there are just so many bad teams. The Sixers, there are going to be some nights where they themselves can out-talent teams, when they themselves can out-talent the Celtics. And when you actually, we were talking about the Raptors, and I've I've thrown the Raptors in the primary series as well, is they just got to put them in there. They're obligatory. They're a 50-win team. They've also given the Celtics more problems than any team has in the Brad Stevens era whatsoever. They're always taking three out of four, if not sweeping the season series. I believe it was three out of four last year. But, you know, obviously this is a little bit different when, with doing that is because the Celtics have this brand new team. But, you know, Danny, like we were talking about how they're going to run the offense early on, etc. The more I think about it, what's actually kind of crazy is is that a lot of strategies that were utilized against the Celtics. I know you watched them heavily at the end of la- last year because they were so involved and, and ended up being the number one seed to make in the Eastern Conference Finals, is one of the key ways in beating them, as you know, as you've pointed out, are small, small pick and rolls on Isaiah Thomas late in the game. I like to still think teams are going to utilize that. And sending two or more guys in the offensive boards on every single possession, like the Bulls did in the playoffs, like the Cavs did in that crucial regular season game in April at the end of last year. Same way to beat the Celtics, right? No matter what, even with 10-plus new guys or whatever it is. I do not even say gazillion new guys.
1: Kyrie has similar defensive flaws to Isaiah Thomas. So if they, if he kind of folds in the way that he has at other points in his career, then that is still a weakness. However, there is reason to believe, because Kyrie has greater physical capability, that he can be better than he has been. I mean, you you wonder when a guy's in his mid-20s, whether that's really going to happen. And then on the offensive boards, I think that is going to be an issue, but it'll be a little bit different this year because I think the Celtics are— they have more capable ball handlers and a few, few other elements, so maybe they can react a little bit differently. But yeah, I don't think they're going to have strong rebounding, defensive rebounding groups out there. So it could be kind of similar weaknesses at this point, but I really want to see who Brad Stevens starts— who finishes games for them, before definitively saying that. Because, you know, they're the, I think Jason Tatum can be a capable rebounder of points. Mark, Marcus Morris is not the greatest in the world, but yeah, he can do a... Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> but but if he... but if, but if too nice of a guy, Danny. He's definitely but if Steven, a bad rebounder. But if Stevens tells him that's the reason he's going to be on the floor, you know, like, that sort of a thing. But then the other element that I want to see is... What, how Boston's first shot defense is because if they are forcing teams into bad attempts at early on, then they'll be okay. I think, and Boston's first shot defense has been inconsistent over the last couple of years. What really made them two years ago was how many turnovers they forced, and if they could do that again, they're fine. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I, I'm fascinated stuff, to yeah. see who Stevens plays, how it works out. But yeah, you're right, though, that those two weaknesses could rear their head at various moments during the season.
0: And their three-point defense in that 2016 season was almost just like it was too good. It was a regression of the means last year. Real quick before I get you out of here, actually, you know, not the time and place to do this, but make a real quick prediction of what you think the starting five will be because I think that's actually, as you like to say, very interesting.
1: It's important. So... I'm going to go with, I think the three non-negotiables are Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford. And my instinct is Marcus Morris and Jalen Brown. Brown. I think that some people have penciled in Jason Tatum. It's always hard for me to see a rookie start on a good team. That's why there's an eraser on a pencil. And Marcus Smart could be that guy, and I think he will be for some games. But I think they're going to want the... Uh, they're not going to want somebody out there who, unless his shot looks a whole lot better this year than it did last year, they don't want that guy who other teams are going to help off of a lot early in possessions. And I like Mar- I like Marcus Smart on second units, and then he can he he'll muscle into the starting lineup or muscle into lineups with the starters fairly frequently.
0: The Athletics, Danny Larue, host of the Dunked On Basketball podcast in Real GM Radio, available on the CLNS Media Network mobile app. Danny, know you're still pumping your book, 100 Things Warrior Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Talk to us, my man.
1: So my book is on the history of the Warriors from when they moved to to San Francisco originally to the present so it hits on everything and it's a hundred self-contained chapters and it's a lot of fun it was great to research and i enjoyed going into that part of it and it's you know it's different from the writing and the podcast thing i do and i think it's a companion to everything else and i hope that it has a broader appeal but there as you know there's plenty of warriors interest right now so if it can tap into some of that as well i'll be fine
0: i wish we could do sort of a psychological study of this show it would be a good one for a neuroscience unit at one of our local universities. The emotional ups and downs of this broadcast, starting off with the OMG, the chemistry, brutal schedule, at least they got talent, and, well, the East does stink after all, and then the level-headedness of Mr. LaRue himself, mercifully creating order. I'd be interested in that. I don't have the resources yet. Help us out. Support Celtics Beat by supporting our sponsors. Bombfell.com slash Celtics Beat for $25 off your first order of custom clothes. And if you're in the market for a mattress, Casper. Casper.com slash Celtic and promo code Celtic. That is singular. Celtic. Big help to us if you do support our sponsors using our coupon codes. Want to thank Danny LaRue again for joining this broadcast. Danny is everywhere, including here on CLNS. Check him out on the CLNS Media Network mobile app. The CLNS Media Map is free in the App Store because you're going to have time now with the conclusion of this show, which was presented again by Bombfell and Casper. Music was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Lagratto. For graphic designer Scott Dillon, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Larry A. Trussell, the executive producer and host, signing off for episode number 230 of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Media.